Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 187 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc. It's going to be July 1st tomorrow, which means at any moment, I'm guessing Acoustic Disc is getting ready to announce a new release. They put one out pretty much every month. They're always incredible. And if you want to find out before the next episode what it is, just go over to their website and sign up for their email list. Not only will you find out all the new releases, but every week they send you a free tune via the Treat of the Week. They also have a great podcast over there, Acoustic Encounters with David Grisman Danny Barnes. So head on over. Okay. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you're doing well. I want to send my condolences. Man, what a rough couple weeks for the mandolin community. Jesse McReynolds and Bobby Osborne have, have both uh, passed on. Really, really bummed. Um, I always wanted to have Jesse on the podcast. It just never worked out. Um, Bobby, I've had on. It was a two-parter and it was incredible. Um, I want to thank Scott Napier and actually just send um, I know a lot of people are really close to them, friends of the podcast, uh, CJ Lewandowski and uh, Scott and his wife, Lauren, were really, really close uh, with with Bobby. So um, always sad, but we've got incredible, incredible music to listen to. Um, if you haven't checked out the Bobby and his mandolin Osborne album or Osborne Brothers album, you really, you really need to do it. It's incredible. And, and. They recorded an album together, uh, Bobby Osborne and Jesse McReynolds, so be sure to check those out. Speaking of mandolin duos, my guests this week, Noah Fishman and Baron Collins-Hill, they're an incredible mandolin duo. And if you're a fan of Into the Cauldron, like I am, um, you're going to love this album. And if you're a fan of playing along with other mandolin players, they really break down how they create space for each other. And they have their mandolins in hand during this episode. They play two tunes off of the album. The album is available on Bandcamp. This is their second album. Uh, The first one was an EP. Both are great. Everything Noah and Baron have out there is incredible stuff. So go out. Links below to where to to get their music from. Speaking of links, let's get into the sponsors. Peghead Nation with Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. Incredible lineup. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibish, Chad Manning, and Ian Corey. Just teaching you all the levels from beginner to advanced. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. The best part, in my opinion, is you can join Peghead Nation's video courses now, any of them, and get your first month for free. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. They just announced one of their newest instruments. You can check that out on the Instagram. And that's not the only instrument. More details coming soon. Ear Trumpet Labs. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Pava Mandolins, both Pava and Ellis are both mentioned in this episode. Pava dedicated to building for the impassioned player right out of Austin, Texas. Tone Slabs. Get some more tone out of your instrument. Go to toneslabs.com right now. Frank and David are doing some incredible plectral work. I'm not sure if plectral's the right word to use, if it's even a real word. Plectrums, plectral. Anyway, I'm going to go with it. Tone slabs are incredible. Get yourself a slab of tone. They got all the shapes and sizes, thicknesses, bevels that you'd ever want. Go to toneslabs.com right now and get yourself a slab of tone. And Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. 
All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 50th year, going into their 51st any day now. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. Tell them Dan Patrick sent you. All right, everybody. Have a great holiday weekend. It's the 4th of July. If you're going to play with fireworks, don't blow your fingers off. That will make mandolin playing very difficult, I would imagine. Anyway, let's get into this episode with Noah and Baron. Thanks so much for tuning in, and everybody have a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. Now it's my pleasure to welcome back Baron Collins Hill, and for the first time, Noah Fishman to the podcast. How you doing, fellas? Oh, we're doing great. Yeah, living large. First off, thank you for rescheduling. Um, we were going to do this a few weeks ago, but I had a family, kind of a family emergency, and you guys were so kind to be able to uh, to push back this episode. So I want to thank you both for that right off the bat. It's, oh, it's perfect timing because, um, yeah, Baron's plans ended up changing, and uh, he's staying with me at my place in uh, Westbrook, Maine. And uh, we played a gig yesterday uh, together. So we got to and, and do the call in person with you. Yeah. Where'd you guys do the gig? Minecraft Distilling in Portland, Maine. Oh, yeah. I saw I saw Noah's funk band there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Noah does a lot, of, a lot of stuff there. Well, that's the spot with the Tuesday night um, bluegrass in town as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Noah's a great bass player, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely. you. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Funk band. You never know what to expect when somebody's like, ah, it's a funk band. You know, and I've seen a lot of bad funk bands. You guys were a really good funk band. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we, you know, we try. Um, yeah, so there's a good scene up here. There's, you know, there's lots of good musicians in the Portland area. So it, it makes putting a band like that together pretty easy. Well, before we start, since um, you know, Baron was on number 37 here, and so if people aren't familiar with Baron's background, which I would be stunned because you have the incredible YouTube in the Mando Lessons uh, project that's been going for years. But uh, if you're not familiar with Baron, go back and check out that episode in his website. Link's below. But let's talk about Noah real quick. This is Noah's first time on, so let's get a little bit of background on you, Noah. All right. Well, um, I'm 29 years old. Um, five foot eight and a half um yeah i play the mandolin um bass guitar uh drums uh, piano and um yeah right now my music life is a whole mix of um film scoring touring um production recording engineering and uh yeah just straight up playing instruments so um I'm from Maine originally, from Belfast, Maine, and that's how I met Barron's uh, through that area and uh, the Maine fiddle camp scene. Uh, went to college in New Jersey, lived in New York, went to grad school in Michigan, and very pleased to be settled back here in Maine. Ann Arbor, Michigan, the best. Yep. Yes. Yeah. How, did you get to see some uh, the arc there, which is where I saw so many like shows that influenced me to get me to the point where I am today? Did you get to... Uh, ever go to the Ark and see any shows there? Yeah, um, I went there a bunch, and uh, that was actually the last show I saw before the pandemic hit. It was very surreal. I saw Talisk. Um, do you know Talisk? Yeah, yeah. I, so I saw Talisk, you know, powerhouse, loud, Scottish intensity, and it was just a small handful of us in the crowd, me, my partner, a couple of older volunteers, all kind of looking around at each other like, should we be here? Is this <laughs> so? Uh, yeah, and then everything shut down. So yeah, I spent a lot of time at the Ark, and I actually just lived a block and a half from there when I was going to grad school. So what is a super venue? There's a jazz club right next to it now called Blue Llama that I, I play that a bunch as well. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Oh wow, I'll have to check that out next time I'm up that way. So how did you get into mandolin? I got into mandolin, um, I think it was a, a multifaceted entry. Um, I was introduced to Maine Fiddle Camp in high school, which 
got me really excited because up till then I'd been taking classical piano lessons. I played clarinet in the school band. I played electric bass and um, just a little bit of upright bass in different jazz groups. And um, even in high school, I was gigging as a bass player and always going to these jazz camps and festivals. But I had never really been into, um, aside from having already been pretty into Irish traditional music, I didn't know that just in my own backyard in Maine, there was this whole scene of learning by ear and improvising and sharing these tunes. And so I went to Maine fiddle camp in high school and yeah, was just really floored by all the, the music happening there. And the, the fall after that, my parents got me a mandolin, uh, an Eastman 305 for my birthday. Um, and I just went to town and then I think someone gave me the goat rodeo sessions and, uh, got to check out Chris Thiele's playing alongside, you know, Yo-Yo Ma, Stuart Duncan, Edgar Meyer, and just be like, wow, there's, there's a lot of music that can be made on this little instrument. <laughs> so yeah, I, I've always had mandolin as a companion alongside my bass playing. And then, um, I think, yeah, meeting Baron and, and getting to collaborate with him and also getting uh, to travel a lot and not bring my bass, but be able to bring my mandolin. Just, I think over the years, um, I was just playing more and more mandolin. And um, yeah, I've, I, I really love it. I've never had a mandolin teacher or taken mandolin lessons, um, but I've had a lot of really awesome friends and collaborators who've shown me the way. <laughs> well, w one really good one. I, I don't even know that you could get much of a better asset right there than the guy sitting next to you to to be introduced to and start playing mandolin. Totally, yeah. Pretty much every mandolin question I've ever had has gone through Baron. You know, <laughs> strings, instrument, uh, who to listen to, uh, you know, and then of course um, watching some of his videos too. So, Baron, just the. Um... The, that Northeast music scene and fiddle scene has really got interesting standards that's, that are significantly different than like bluegrass standard fiddle tunes, mm. you know, a little bit more crooked and, and um, that became really attractive to me and really turned me on to a whole bunch of different players. So, awesome. yeah. So who, who were some people then that you were listening to know when you're out there and you're like, okay, I want to uh, Barron's turn me on to a bunch of stuff. What was stuff that you were kind of working on? Because you're you're a great mandolin player <laughs> for for never oh, having a you know a, a traditional teacher. So what is the stuff that you were working on to get you to this point? Well, I think I was honestly you know trying to copy a lot of my friends, trying to learn the tunes. Um, e even some of these tunes, like when you think of I don't know, what's uh, tunes that we play at fiddle camp. arpeggiated tunes that go on and on and on. Some of them are like an F and B flat. And um, yeah, just learning the tunes. Um, I think oftentimes I would be jamming at fiddle camp and then I'd go home and realize I had gotten better and realize I had I had learned tunes that I wasn't even trying to learn, you know? Um, there's still like a brute force aspect. <laughs> like, yeah, just drilling it into your fingers and your head. Um but I, when I say that Baron and I would share a lot of music, I don't think we we've talked much about like mandolin players. Yeah, and, it's true. But it's, we both listen to a lot of people that aren't mandolin players, and yeah. get a lot of uh, kind of insight from from those places. Like uh, they might be giants. Yeah, uh, what's that? That uh, tin tin hat. Oh, tin hat trio. Tin hat trio. Yeah, no, just tin hat. Tin hat. Um, yeah, just w weird stuff that we both find interesting, and then just jamming on it on mandolin. Um, yeah, um, it's funny. I, I, when I hang out with other mandolin players, I think there's a lot more mandolin talk than when yeah. we hang out. <laughs> now you guys have recorded once before you put out an EP.
another fantastic recording, Fine Times. So that one, how, how did that one come about? Um, I, th- I think we've, we've just been playing and doing duo stuff, duo gigs. Uh, Grant, correct me if I'm wrong, but at a certain point we just said, hey, let's make a recording yeah. of some of the favorite stuff that we've been doing. Definitely. That's always my favorite way to, to do a recording is sort of like you've naturally played with someone so much because like, hey, we have a bunch of like shared repertoire and cool ideas and let's, let's go in the studio and do what we love to do and see what comes out. So I, I grew up in a barn, in, uh, a converted barn in Midcoast, Maine, and my, my dad um, has a painting studio in, in the attic of the barn, and so that's where we recorded the first album. Um, next Door Neighbor and amazing musician Jamie Oshima came over and filmed us. Yeah, just a couple mics and uh, a camera, and then my friend Freddie Samuel Lund, a Swedish uh, collaborator of mine, mastered it. Yeah, and my mom uh, provided the album artwork. And then, uh, yeah, same, sort of same deal for this most recent album. We uh, went to a friend of Baron's house who has a home studio, set up a couple mics, uh, you know, recorded, I edited and, and mixed everything. So just keeping it low-key and in-house. That first one, did you record those, like the, el- the versions that are on the album, for instance, like Hey Buddy Hey has a video mm-hmm. and, on there. Did you, is that the actual recording of that song? Yeah, uh, we ended up doing four or five takes, but um, the ones that are video, I think, Hey Buddy Hey, Polska from Marco, and um, Fine Times, uh, those were all filmed, and the the takes that we filmed happened to be the best takes. Wow. (laughs) That's that's, that's perfect. Fortuitous. Yeah, I I think about the energy of just to the, the... We were staring at each other in the hot attic and was like playing take after take after take. (laughs) Well, should we do another one? Should we do another one? And then, you know, the next day, Jamie comes in with his fresh energy. He's got the camera. And we just hit the, you know, hit those tunes again. And um, there's so much more energy there. So we use those. And then this new album, Safe Harbor, which is just incredible. And I got to tell you, man, it re- it really reminds me a bit of one of my, I mean, one of my all-time favorite albums is Into the Cauldron. And there are multiple moments on this where I feel like it could be from that that same album. It just sounds great. The the interplay between the two of you is just beautiful. So congrats on this incredible album right now. Thank you. That's high praise. That's one of that one of, some track from uh Into the Cauldron popped up on the Noah's random shuffle in the car yesterday when we were coming back from the gig. I was like, Oh man. That's that's like that's one of my top mandolin listening albums of all time. I really went down that rabbit hole when that first came out. I saw that tour at the Ark in Ann Arbor. Oh, right. <laughs> I've heard of that recording. I think there's a live recording of that somewhere. We were listening to that when we first started meeting too. Like, does that have Fisher's Hornpipe yeah, on it? Yeah, like it's got the end. There's there's something about that like really tight duo mandolin playing that yeah. we've always I think to some degree subconsciously tried to emulate yeah um, as well as Harrison Crabfeathers maybe yeah. I think we used to jam yeah, on totally yeah that's definitely in my mind like a a watershed duo mandolin record that I think inspired a lot of people so then this new album I it's interesting I I love to ask this question um, especially with great players like yourself and and people who who have written tunes. How do you pick the standards that you decide to record or the traditional tunes that you do along with the ones that you've written? Because there's some great songs on here, um, which I want to ask separately. The Grasshopper, Emma's Crumble by Noah and Stevie's Polska by Baron. You know, those are great recordings I'm ass- or great tunes. I'm assuming you also have other tunes that are great, but you've also got these incredible t- traditional tunes on there. How do you decide? Yeah, so I think... I don't know, the way that I see it, and maybe they will have better insight than me, uh, maybe just kind of goes back to, like, the the brute force culture of camp, not mm. to make it overly, like, an aggressive idea, but, like, <laughs> you, we just play so many tunes, especially in sort of, like, the New England tradition, there's, like, you know, there's, it can be an Irish tune, it can be a Quebec tune, it can be an old-time tune, it can be a Swedish tune, um, and there's all of these cultures in in Maine and in New England, and so... I think one thing that I really appreciate coming from that musical culture is you get to hear all that different music and there's just like so many different tunes and 
especially with going to different fiddle camps. We've both spent a lot of time at Maine Fiddle Camp and uh, set more separately at different fiddle camps across the country. And you just hear tune, 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 tune. And there's, you know, the ones that always kind of float up to the top and become our favorites. And then we've kind of decided on a couple mutual favorites, and those are what made it on the record. I think everything on the record that's traditional, we've also had some some degree of personal joy playing together. Um, I don't think that, with, with a couple exceptions, there's nothing on the record that we had never played before or that one of us had played and the other had never played. Um, these are all tunes that over the years we've been like, oh, it, it's always really nice when we play this tune. And then there were other tunes, um, uh, let me sing, think. Yeah, because before we recorded, we did a Zoom session uh, from Portland East to Portland West. <laughs> and we, um, I knew just from the start, that, uh, eight more miles to Louisville, oh, yeah. hometown. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we did a session where we said, hey, these are the tunes I'm thinking of for the next album. What do you think about this one? What do you think about that one? And there were a couple on there where we were like, definitely a great tune, but I don't know what we can really do with it, or I don't know what we can add to it, or I love that tune, but it's, you know, maybe not as much as these other ones. Yeah. So there was definitely some, some whittling down, and we ended up with a collection of tunes that I, we both have personal history with. Oh, that's perfect. And you said you recorded this in two half days? Yeah, it was two, four, <laughs> five hour days. Yeah, four oh. hours the first day and five hours the next. And the second day, our friend Lillian Sawyer came in and, and played some fiddle as well. Yeah, beautiful player. Yeah, she's great. She's she's on like a three month tour of Europe right now with Fog Holler. Well, let's start off. Um, you guys are going to play a couple tunes, which is so like, super exciting. And so I guess we should start off maybe with the very first track on the album, Sweet Nell. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. What's the uh, before you guys play that? What's a little bit of background on this song? Yeah, so I learned this tune from my partner Emma Swartz, who is a fiddle player. And she learned it when she she grew up playing Irish music, um, started playing uh, Irish music when she was living in Ireland. Um, she's from the States, but spent some time in Ireland. And so she was a sort of pretty traditional Irish player. And then she did a study abroad from school in Western Massachusetts to uh, Montreal for a year. And while in Montreal, she had great uh, plans to learn a bunch of Quebecois tunes and, you know, really dive into that culture, which she did. But she also ended up hanging out with a bunch of old-time musicians because they all spoke English and mm -hmm. French was her second language. So it was sort of like a way to relax and be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go play old-time tunes with people who speak English. I don't have to work my brain on, you know, the, the language barrier. I don't need to work my brain on these really crooked Quebec tunes. Um, so I believe that she learned that tune up there. It's written by uh, a duo in New Mexico, Jim Mullaney and Rob Pine. I think they collaborated, and one wrote the A part, one wrote the B part. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just become one of our favorite tunes. And, uh, yeah, Emma was the the sort of the source for that for me, and probably for Noah, too. I learned it from you, I'm sure. Oh, great. Um, either that or I learned it. I heard it at Fiddle Camp, Yeah, and we jammed it. Yeah, it's, it's become kind of a Fiddle Camp classic, and I would love... I would love to like see uh, uh, like a map of how move, uh, tunes move around because I was just at a new camp, uh, Northeast Heritage in uh, Vermont, in kind of central northern Vermont, last week, and they were playing it over there, and I was like, wow, I know how this tune got to Maine Fiddle Camp. Maybe there's some crossover from Maine Fiddle Camp into mm -hmm. Northeast Heritage, but yeah, I would love. That's something we'll probably never really see unless we can like put a GPS tracker on a thing. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's sort of that one's getting around for sure. We love that tune. Well, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's hear you guys play a little sweet now. Sure.
Wow. <laughs> the whole time I'm listening to you play that, I'm just thinking, this is why I play mandolin. <laughs> it's just sure. like, it's so beautiful sounding. Thank you. I, I'm always surprised at how much more two, mandol two mandolin sounds than one mandolin. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> right, right. It's one mandolin, but then the two of us feels like five of us or yeah. something. It's like... The, I don't know the jangling strings and like we're we're almost we're playing in the same range basically, yeah. but there's still so much space for both of us. I think that comes down to the players though too, because I was going to ask you while listening to that about you guys have a really beautiful arrangement you've come up with that, and I'd love to hear how you come up with the, the rhythm playing to go behind those melodies. Yeah, I, I think uh, you hit it on the head with thoughtfulness. I think we're just you know we're sitting here we're. Um, our knees are practically touching right now. We're really close and um, uh, we're just being thoughtful. Yeah, I think a big aspect of it is kind of learning to to listen. And I feel like the more, that's one of my favorite kind of things about tr traditional music and these tunes is there's there's such a great, you know, it's for a long time I would just like learn a tune and be like, great, I learned the tune, I got it, I can play it, I'm done. Like, mission accomplished. And there's really <laughs> so much more that you can like once you get a tune in your head then you you know you can back off from really thinking like oh what's the next note what's mm -hmm. the next this and then you sort of regain a little bit of kind of attention span in your brain to to kind of direct somewhere else and that can be yeah. in any number of ways whether you're thinking okay okay what can i do with the chords or like hey maybe i can just keep my head up and listen to what's going on around me and be use that to sort of react in real time you also, Daniel, you mentioned the chords, like, you know, playing the chords, quote unquote. So, the you know, one question is, what are the chords? Um, if you, there's, there's a set of chords that really closely matches the melody, you know, probably one, A, dun, 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 four, one, 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 five, five, one, 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 four, one, four, one, five, one. One, 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 four, four, one, five, like, but we're basically never playing that. We're often building bass lines that move through different areas. Like, one of the things I think I play a lot is, like, we have, like, A, dun, 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 Playing a bass line, basically, I'm going bum, 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 and then filling it in with other chord tones. playing a counter melody plus bass line plus open chord tone strings and yeah i'm certainly not thinking about you know the chords quote unquote <laughs> i would agree and i think something that we both uh have learned to do especially in sort of the mandolin duo land is to really pay attention to sort of like what kind of sonic space is being filled up, whether sort of pitch-wise or just kind of note intensity-wise. So, you know, a lot of fiddle tunes are kind of living on the A and E strings, so I think we're both pretty attuned to the fact that we don't, for the most part, really want to be playing accompaniment up there. You know, if the chords are on the A and E strings and the... Uh, sorry, if, yeah, if the melody's on the A and E strings and the chords are there too, everything's operating in one little, like, one octave land. Mm -hmm. um, so... I try to make a habit of kind of staying out of the way of the melody by really, you know, focusing on those, the G and D strings. And I do a lot of the same stuff that Noah does. I might even just like leave out some of those kind of high drones. I do a lot of...
leaves me a lot of room to play. But then there's also moments where I think we're both like jamming up the top end. If you yeah. just go. Even just operating in that higher range, I think it's because you guys change it up so much. It's kind of like it never is too much of a good thing. And when it is too much of a of the same thing, I think a, a third thing that we often um, rely on is dynamics. Like if we are both hauling away on some high string. each other making space for each other we're like oh that's what you're doing okay okay here's what i'll do building growing something um always yeah kind of revolving around each other yeah yeah you're so limited with two mandolins that i feel like half the fun for me is just you know finding all of those those different um you know how much can you play with dynamics how much can you play with range how much can you play with you know kind of note density all that sort of stuff exploring you know, the, it's a it's a really limited format of just having two mandolins. And, you know, so when you're in that zone, what can you do to really, you know, expand that bubble as much and not make it sound the same every time? Whatever you guys are doing is just working wonderfully. <laughs> Even when you make an accident happen. <laughs> but, yeah, we're, I think we're just endlessly uh, interested in what's going on with the mandolins. On some of our other projects... I've brought the bass in or, you know, Baron's maybe tried six string guitar or something. And we always just come back to, I mean, it, it all sounds cool. Um, and we enjoy it, but we just keep coming back to the duo mandolin thing. Yeah. And sprinkle a little bit of like mandolin family instruments mm -hmm. in when we just, to, you know, have a, a different tonal range as well. Yeah, I was going to say, Noah on this album plays mandolin, citern, and tenor guitar, and uh, Baron plays mandolin, mandola, mandocello, and tenor guitar. So, Indeed. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, before we get into the uh, to the next song that you guys want to play, I just want to talk about maybe a little bit the, the, about the tunes you wrote, uh, and starting with The Grasshopper, as it's the uh, first track of the originals on there, and what was kind of the thinking behind that and the inspiration? Yeah, um, I wrote this tune a few years ago, and I've, um, sometimes the tune will all, you know, it'll come right out and be like, oh, I wrote a tune and that's the way it is now. And sometimes I'll write it, but I'll, before calling it finished, I'll play it and jam it and refine it. That happened with Emma's Apple Crumble as well. Um, playing it on different instruments to kind of boil it down to its essence. Um, you know, I, pl I play it on mandolin one way, but I'll play it on guitar or sitturn or banjo another way. And um, it's those notes that you leave out when you bring it to other instruments that kind of... Maybe those notes weren't really necessary in the first place. So on the, the grasshopper... It has a little bit of this march thing that I think is of the ilk of like Stam Willem, the yeah. Danish tune. Um, uh, that's the... 
sometimes. Yeah. Um, go ahead. And I, I was just going to say, that sort of speaks back to, that tune really reminds me of both Stom Willem and some, there's like a, some pretty like Quebec marches and some kind of New England repertoire marches that I feel like you don't hear a lot in sort of like the, the bluegrass or the old time or the Irish world, um, kind of those kind of stately march style tunes. And I think that sort of speaks back to Maine fiddle camp and sort of the New England tradition because that's that you hear a lot of that sort of stuff in those in those settings. Mm. With the grasshopper, I'm I'm pretty attracted to like harmonic movement and, and slow motion. So with, with the melody we have up and with the accompaniment pattern there I try to accentuate it with the similar motion um, and I'm always kind of hearing a bass line uh, and harmonic motion when I'm writing a tune as well um, and then um, yeah part is pretty mandolin-y and fiddly, I think. And I love those moments where you can't tell what's the melody and what's the bass line. <laughs> but I don't think I even played it. Um, yeah, I and I I had it on my phone as um, G-Tune or something uh, for when I recorded it with a friend on our porch. And there was it was light rain, and you could hear grasshoppers um, in the background. So I called it the grasshopper. Uh, I, also, I have this really vivid memory of playing that tune and then looking up and seeing a grasshopper clinging onto the screen on the porch. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's the grasshopper. And how about Emma's apple, crum apple crumble? years ago for Baron's partner, Emma. Um, I was at a farmer's market in Belfast and um, I think my mom actually saw Emma and said, hey Emma, how are you doing? And Emma, I think she took a beat and she said to my mom, well, I just had some apple crumble, so I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> my mom came home and told me that story and I thought that was just great. And I wrote this really like sweet, sort of like, just like, ah, uh, Apple, had some apple crumble, life is good. And then, yeah, again, jammed it at fiddle camp, kind of refined the... I taught the tune with some complexities, and then over 10 minutes of playing with a bunch of fiddlers, they stripped all the nonsense away. So we got <laughs> the, right to the core of stuff. And then, years later, I met my partner, whose name is also Emma. Um, and now everyone on our side thinks I wrote it for her. And they see the album, they see Emma's Apple Crumble, they say, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but um, no, we all, we all love the tune. It's a really sweet one. Oh, it's beautiful. And then, and then you're Stevie's Polska.
Yeah. So that, uh, I was just looking to see if I could figure out where I could, how long ago I actually wrote that tune. Um, I would guess it's somewhere, somewhere around 10 years old at this point. <laughs> I, went through, I went through a period of writing a lot of tunes, um, and I haven't really written that many tunes lately, but uh, I wrote a bunch of tunes, you know, 10 years ago plus, and that's one that, uh, yeah, was kind of floating around in my brain. I never quite found the right opportunity to do it, and then it really kind of clicked with Noah, and especially getting uh, Lillian Sawyer in on there really uh, really made it shine. Um, and that's a tune, yeah, so it's a, um, it's a tune in the style of a Swedish polska, which is a tune type, um, and named it after Noah and Emma's dog, uh, Stevie. Yep, she's sitting right here as we speak. Um, yeah, and I've, I've got a big, long-standing relationship with Swedish music. I've been there a number of times. I have another album of, of my own music that I recorded with three musicians in Stockholm. Um, so when we get to play a Polska, I, I really like to dig in and um, kind of, yeah, break out some of the tricks that I've yeah. picked up. Same with Lillian. She's really excited about Nordic music right now. So it was a natural fit. Um, for those who have listened, I know I've definitely had people break down what a Polska is on previous podcasts, but if this is a first-time listener or somebody who hasn't heard it, if you could give them just a brief example of what a Polska is, um, so I'd get an idea. Yeah, a Polska is a, a dance form, basically, you know, like a waltz or a, a polonaise or, you know, let's do a Polska is a type of dance, first and foremost. It has a specific three-beat step where... Um, you're kind of walking along, and it's a couple's dance, so it's uh, two people dancing together and uh, dancing in time. Some polskas really sound like a waltz, like here's a polska. Um, um, sorry. type of polska regional there's others that are much smoother in the three beat we, we play one polska from marco it's a slang polska one two three one two three one two three one two three and then there's this genre of uneven polskas that are more like eggs rolling down the road, top-heavy <laughs> top, top kind of, it's, it's like a one, two, three, one, two, three, which emulates the, the way that the dance works as well. You're stepping one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. well-known Polska, Polska from Sermanland, which, um, it, it's a really basic Polska, um, let's see. three emphasizing one and three but then ending on beat two uh, so uh yeah baron wrote this tune in the, in the style of one of those uneven polskas well before we get into playing the I, i'd like to save the very last track for the for the end of the podcast so now i'd just like to talk real quick maybe about the instruments used on this recording um sure. and um before we get into the 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 types of the, the, the little bit more mandolin family ones, what are your main mandolins currently? I really only own one mandolin, which is my uh, Pava. What is this? Pava number 103, um, Pava Pro. I um, I had that Eastman I was, I was telling you about. 
And at a certain point, I said, you know, I should probably get myself a nicer mandolin. And a lot of people were raving about, I think it was either they either get a Pava or get a Gerard. Like, that's the best bang for your buck around, let's see, I probably got it 2015, 2014, 2015. So, yeah, I, I found a good price on a Pava, and I like it pretty well. Um, I always covet Baron's mandolin. I think it's, it's, it's really cool that we're, because Baron's playing in Ellis, and so our mandolins come from the same shop. Um, and I've been to the Pava Ellis shop in Austin, and it's a good hang. And, um, yeah, I like my mandolin. It's a, okay, a Pava Pro... Um, with the the Daddario medium heavies, and I use a Wigan pick, and yeah, that's that's my mandolin. I have another. I have a Gibson A from 1918 that I use for film scoring a lot because it really that like open jingling, almost like harpsichord sound, which is really useful. Um, what you know when I'm recording acoustic stuff, um, but for all my mandolin stuff, I, I play this Pava. That sounds killer. And I'm still playing the uh, same old, same old Ellis. Uh, Ellis A5 from 2009. Um, had this thing since 2009. Totally love it. And I think it plays really nicely with, with Noah's uh, Pava, you know, kind of coming from the same spot. They, they, they play nice together. And yeah. a couple tracks on the album, I'm actually playing a newer acquisition. I got a an Ellis Oval Hole. Oh yeah, um, I played that one as well. On, yeah, on one on maybe Tennessee Mountain Fox Face. Yeah, I can't remember where we used it and where we didn't. We'd have to listen back. Mm. But um, that's from 2010. I got it maybe a year ago at this point. Um, I'd been I'd played a bunch of old Gibson. I've, I've had a bunch of A Juniors kind of throughout the years because I really love those instruments. And with uh, Ellis Tom hasn't made that many oval holes, so I kind of had always had my eyes out. Like, oh, I wish. Like it would be fun to have a an oval hole. So it's it's a, it's kind of the modern oval hole. It's fifteen frets to the neck joint. Um, so it, it's sort of people. Some people call them like hybrid because they're they're not the short like twelve fret like the old Gibsons. You know the fretboard's flush to the top. These are fifteen fret to the joint and raised fingerboard. So it's got a little bit more kind of snap and modern modern build. Um, and I really like it. It feels exactly like the A5, which is great. Um, I feel that I, I don't really care too much about sort of the way instruments feel. I tend to get used to whatever I'm playing, but it is certainly nice that, you know, this oval hole feels exactly the same as, as the A style that I've now been playing for almost 15 years. <laughs> That's great. How about the uh, Mandola? Yeah, so the Mandola is a Lawrence Smart uh, mandola. It's actually a 10-string mandola, so it's mo mandola scale length, uh, 16 inches, and it, it's, he, uh, Lawrence makes a lot, or he's, he's often known for his, like, 10-string and kind of mandolin family instruments. Uh, this is, I did not buy this new, when did it come out? I think it was built in 2016, did you get it from music and I got it, What's that? Did you get it from Music Emporium? I can't, yeah, I did get it from the Music Emporium. Um, thank you for remembering, because <laughs> I kind of forgot. And so, yeah, it's, it's a Mandola 16-inch scale length, CGDA, and then it has a high E on it. And a lot of people, or a lot of, I think every other 10-string uh, mandolin mandola instrument that Lawrence has made has been fan fret, where the frets kind of aren't parallel to each other, and it makes a longer C course and a shorter E course. Um, and mine is actually just straight across. It's 16 inches straight across, parallel frets. Um, I find that, I you know, the... The fan fret idea really makes a lot of sense in sort of like the physics realm of like, you know, really optimizing that long C string and making the E string shorter because the E string on the on the 16 inch scale is really kind of maxed out. It's an, I put a nine and a half hmm. on that E and it's right up there. It's, it's, it's pretty tight. Um, <laughs> but what I find is I really prefer kind of normal fretboards for my right for the sake of my right hand. Um because the, when you put fan frets on, it actually tips the bridge, so the the base side mm -hmm. of the bridge is further away, and the treble side's kind of closer, and that sort of affects my right hand. I'm sure I would get used to it if I ended up with a, a fan fret instrument someday, but um, I really like it's It's a little bit of more of kind of a natural fit for my brain and sort of my right hand technique to have uh, a straight, uh, constant scaling. Built in 2016, and then I bought it in 2021, I believe, used. 
And then how about the Amanda Cello? <laughs> so, yeah, so the Amanda Cello, um, after getting the Mandola, the 10 string, um, I, I realized like, wow, this is, this instrument really fits with me. I'd never played, or if I had played one of Lawrence's instrument, I had never like had a really good, like, opportunity to sit down with one and really put some time in and getting that 10 string mandola i was like wow okay this is this is awesome and lawrence is the guy who can make all of my weird instrument ideas come true <laughs> so i actually um i ordered a trio from him <laughs> um and i got one of them is the mandocello which is actually a 10 string mandocello so it's it's built on a 16 inch inch arch top sort of l5 lore era um, guitar body and obviously graduated and, and braced in a way that um, makes it work as a mandocello. That's that's Lawrence's specialty, not mine. Um, and so that's it's a 25 inch scale length, 16 inch archtop body, and it's got um, it's a low C G D A, and then it has a high E, like which is the same octave as like the high E string on a guitar. So that that one really doesn't require the the fan fret because it's in, the, in that lower register. So yeah, it's sort of like my 10-string mandola, just down an octave. So it's um, like I used on uh, Old New England. slow kind of stuff where you know things can get really kind of sloppy and muddy if you're ripping along on a man at least if i'm ripping along on a mandicello <laughs> uh, so I, I tend to stick to the, the slower pretty stuff with with the cello and then did you guys use the same tenor guitar or did you use two different tenor guitars we we were out on the west coast as i mentioned so um we were using all baron's instruments um and the tenor guitar on that was baron's was that your callings uh, yeah, it was. I've got a Collings tenor from... They didn't make tenor guitars for too long. Um, it's so good. But I, think it's I, I got one. it recently, and I, I really love it. I've owned a lot of old uh, Martins in the past, and this... Yeah, I really love the Martins, but they you know, they are at this point, you know, getting on to be 60 to sixty to 80 years old, and, you know, they've got their quirks, and, the, you know, the Collings being a, a, a modern build really... You know, it's dialed right in, and it—I it, love the sound of that thing. Well, awesome. And then, I—the—the I, the, the title track of the album, "Safe Harbor." So, how did you guys pick this tune, and how did you make it the title track? Um, we picked—I love this tune. I learned it from our mutual friend Mary Fraser. Did she teach it to you? I think I either learned it from her or kind of second generation from our, our other friend, uh, Emily Jeffries. But mm. They both have a similar sort of interest in interesting old, old time tunes. I was living in Ann Arbor and, um, I wasn't super close friends with Mary yet. Um, but she, she sent me a note and said, Hey, I heard you're living in Ann Arbor. I'm driving through today. You want to get some lunch? I said, sure. So, um, she, then I get another call. It says, Hey, my car broke down one block from your house. <laughs> um, she ended up staying three nights and uh, taught me a ton of tunes, and it was it was just perfect serendipity, and and we we got our friendship got much closer as well. So yeah, she taught me this uh, tune, Safe Harbor Rag, which is just such a hoot. Yeah, it's a really fun one. And looking it up afterwards, um, we we learned an interesting little aspect of it by looking it up. It's from the repertoire of Dick Walton, who was a Pennsylvania fiddle player. Um, and it's it's named after a town on the Susquehanna River in in Pennsylvania, uh, the town of Safe Harbor. And oddly enough, Safe Harbor is situated between two nuclear power plants. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not the Safe Harbor yeah. out there, but it's a, it's a nice, uh, nice idea anyway. But then, um, we went through the, we went through a million name ideas for the, um, for the album. Um, a, a strong contender for a while. <laughs> we were we were in Portland. We saw this ch this child's drawing of a dog with sunglasses. Um, <laughs> and I can it, send it to you for the show notes. Yeah, please had, do. 
it had this caption on it that said, uh, can't stop having these good times. <laughs> it was like from probably like a 10 year old, yeah. of like some kind of like random classic dog with, with sunglasses on. <laughs> so we thought that'd be an amazing follow up to find times and be secure the rights. Though, yeah. So, so then we went to the, the tracks and we were like, well, we can't, we don't want to call it sweet. Now we don't want to call it. Eagle's Whistle, that Safe Harbor perfectly matches our, our energy and yeah. just the safe space that our mandolin duo is. And um, it was then just a matter of going to my dad's, my dad's Alan Fishman and has a really deep, uh, you know, portfolio of amazing paintings. And we found one that worked great for the album cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it feels to, to me like a, a nice theme to have, you know, the first album was Fine Times. This is Safe Harbor. The first one had Emma's Oh, sorry, <laughs> Noah's mother's um, uh, artwork on it, and this one's got his father's, and it's. I just love the the way the the two albums kind of work together in that way. Yeah. So, um, before we have you play this last song too, just one one thing: is there any beers? I mean, you guys are are out there and on the East Coast and the West Coast, so I don't know if there's anybody. Uh, I just got turned on to a new one by Phil Barker from Town Mountain that I enjoyed. So, any anybody drinking anything interesting? Oh yeah, this is the mandolins and beer podcast. Yes, yes. I had. Um, I grew up in Maine, um, and I've been kind of out of touch with the Maine beer scene. But uh, actually, a friend from when I was growing up, uh, Asa Marsh Sachs, uh, has started Orono Brewing Company, which has really, um, you know, became become a Maine favorite. When I moved to the West Coast, he he had a, a brewery up in Bangor, or, or I guess Orono, um, but. Um, coming back, he's really kind of upped his distribution, and now I'm seeing his, his his beer all over the place, and it's really great to see. And he's got a, a wicked beer out of the Tubular, the from, oh, from Orono like Brewing. That's, it's, it's a great beer. Is that the light blue can with all the colors on yeah, it? It's got, yeah, it's kind of like kind of pastel. Yeah, like colors. that beer. Yeah, really. It's really good yeah, I can imagine. How about you, Noah? Anything in particular? The last beer I drank was uh, Blueberry Sour from Lake St. George Brewing Company. Um, it was really, really good. Refreshing, fruity, uh, tangy, and I had it with a, uh, they called it a hot lobster foldy. Which was <laughs> basically lobster melted cheese on a tortilla. Oh, yeah. It was really good. Oh my gosh. So that was the perfect pairing. And one of my all-time favorite summer beers is the, I think it's Maine, State of Maine Brewing Company. It's got like the the greenish tall thin bottles, uh, the peeper peeper ale. <laughs> nice. Um, it's really good, um, and they usually have it on tap at Toddy Pond, uh, where we play sometimes. So yeah, I really like the peeper ale. I think from maybe Maine Brewing Company in Freeport. Yeah. Cool. I feel like I need to catch a plane and just hang out with you guys the rest of the day. That's <laughs> <laughs> just a mandolins and beer for sure. This is. Got the mandolins and uh, it's raining yeah. and um, yeah. Although I think I got to do some garden work. So yeah, yeah if you <laughs> buy, you got to bring your gloves and your overalls. Hey, done. <laughs> well, this has been an absolute pleasure talking with you both. This has been a blast. Uh, um, I still got to meet you in person, Baron. Noah, it was so great to hang out with you um, at that recording session a while back and then to go see your band. And so this was, this has been exciting. And thank you guys for playing music here. Best place to find you if they aren't familiar, uh, noahfishmanmusic.com. Yeah, and uh, you know I've got the Instagram noah.fishman, Facebook noahfishman, um, uh, mailing list, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Bandcamp. You can you can find this album on my Bandcamp, um, and we'll put some some physical CDs up for sale soon on there. And Baron mandobaron.com. Yeah, mandobaron.com is my sort of personal website, and if people are looking for free mandolin lessons <laughs> uh, you can find me at mandolessons.com um, and I'm also on Instagram with both of those um, options and yeah YouTube just uh, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find regardless <laughs> <laughs> perfect well let's 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 end this podcast with a little safe harbor rag love it yeah, let's do it and uh, just for the the folks keeping track out there uh, we're really into arrangements and just finding an, a unique angle on tunes so this one's an F. Baron plays the melody, and then I do it as a canon, one bar late uh, for the A part, which is, it gives it a much, it sounds crazy, but it's really pretty simple. Um, and then we break it down through some free improvisation over the form in the middle. And then, uh, do you remember the ending? Nope. Okay. <laughs>
Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been a pleasure. We had a good time. That's some fantastic playing right there. Go out and pick up this brand new album on Bandcamp. Be sure to go out and check out the links. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody. Stay safe. Cheers.